did. And you know what? It's such a beautiful evening. I'm not sure if you saw the wonderful full moon outside. That's just gorgeous. And Arain's retreat has now ended. And I spent the morning up at Bodhinyana. And you know how everyone lines up and they put the rice in the monks' bowls? Their faces were radiant. Everyone was so happy. It's really beautiful to see. So welcome to this evening. If we haven't met before, my name's Sandra Henville. And before Ariel does the proper announcements, I just really feel like chanting the Metta Sutta. So who wants to chant the Metta Sutta before we get started? Yeah, let's do that. But let's start with three namotasas. I'm going to chant it a little bit differently. I've been really inspired by a Canadian nun, Aya Medanandi, and the way she chants the Namotasas. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sambodasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Buddham dhammam sangham namasami Okay, I feel like I'm booming. Um, <laughs> let's now chant the Metta Sutta together. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, not busy with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be happy, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may your beings be happy. Let none deceive another, 
Oh, despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to false views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Ah, that was really nice. <laughs> okay, Wanji Wanji Nunakot, welcome, welcome everybody. I'd like to acknowledge that, you know, tonight we're all meeting on Wanjak Nunga country and it's a pleasure to be here. Pay my respects to the all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, the elders of the present, the elders of the past and those incredible leaders that are emerging. So I'll hand over to Ariel for the real introduction. <laughs> Thank you, Sandra. Hello, everyone. Hello, distinguished panelists. <laughs> As you know, today is our finale for the Rains Retreat guest speaker series. And the overall theme is turning points. So we're getting together to reminisce about the turning points of the society and share some stories from the perspectives of these esteemed panelists today. We have Ananda Tilakasiri, and we have Sandra, as you know, <laughs> and we have uh, past president, Danny Shepherd. We have um, Vivara Kanuba, who's on the way. We have Drew, another ex-president. We have Dr. Sanith D. Tasira, and Mrs. Kanti. D. Tassira. Before we go to the chat with our panelists, I'll just make some announcements for the society. First, Ajahn Brahm will be the Friday night speaker next Friday as we're going back to the normal Friday evening program. He will also lead the Saturday meditation on Saturday the 4th of November. This Sunday, the 29th of October, is the last weekly Sutta Dharma discussion group 
with Ananda Tilakasiri. The time is 3 to 4.30 p.m. in the left-hand shrine room. We also have the Eight Precepts Day at Dhammaloka next Thursday, the 2nd of November. Please contact Lucky at bswa.org for inquiries. Next, the Kusala Hermitage Ajans will resume their 6.30 p.m. Thursday meditation classes at Rolly Stone Family Centre from next Thursday the 2nd. This group will now run throughout the year, excluding rains. At Dhammaloka, the next introduction to meditation course starts the Saturday 4th of November at 3pm, again in the left-hand shrine room. Please note that we have Katina at Bodhiana, sorry, Katina for Bodhiana at Jana Grove on Sunday the 5th of November and Katina for Dhammasara at Dhammasara Nuns Monastery on the 12th of November. We still have the Beauty of Silence books, which are for the book fundraiser for Newbury Monastery. Please go to the Dhammaloka Library to make a cash donation. We are still looking for volunteers. Please feel free to contact Bill on events at bswa.org if you are interested. We're looking for a gardening coordinator and an architect. We're also seeking a cleaning volunteer for the meditation hall once a week. Please see Lynn, our female caretaker, or email admin at bswa.org. The BSWA Broadcasting Management Group are seeking a new translations service coordinator to help coordinate volunteer translations using subtitles for our Dharma videos. Please contact Silve on tech, T-E-C-H, at bswa.org. We're also seeking more AV volunteers to become live stream winners. Please express your interest by contacting Conrad at av at bswa.org. For more details, please go to our website and notice boards. Thank you. May I invite Sandra to lead the meditation now? Okay. And I have one late announcement too. It's that I'm looking for some friends to help me with the Kalyana Friendship Community. So if anyone would love the opportunity to coordinate that group, please come and see me. I've got a few too many things on my dance card. I went to the monastery and acquired another job. <laughs> so, what to do? I think the only thing to do is meditate, really. So, I invite you to just make yourself comfortable. You all look pretty comfortable. If you're sitting in your chair, just put the feet flat on the floor. You know, feel the connection with the earth. It makes a big difference. We'll just let the last people settle. And while they're settling, I always believe that it's good to start a meditation practice with 
bit of an attitude of gratitude. So I'd invite you to bring one thing to mind that made you smile today. Something you're grateful for. And as you think of that thing, just gently close down the eyes. Settle into a nice, comfortable position. Doesn't really matter which way you sit. And just let that sense of gratitude settle into the heart. And take a few moments just to turn your gaze downwards beyond the nose, eyes closed. If it feels comfortable to do so. And just spend a couple of moments just breathing into the space around you. There are so many good people in this Dharma Hall. So many friends. So much matter. Just gently breathing that matter in. Just letting the mind quieten. Nowhere to be. Nothing to do. For all the beginnings, after all the endings, it's just now. And feel your body sitting. Feel the way. The feet make contact with the floor, with the earth. And as you breathe in, 
Breathing in that matter. Send loving kindness. Right down to the feet. Just letting the toes and feet relax with each and every out-breath. You're right here where you need to be. Moving your attention to the calves. Maybe just moving the muscles. And letting them relax. Continuing the journey up to the fires. Just letting the upper legs relax as well. Back of the legs, the bottom, tops of the fires. So there's a sense of sitting gently on the earth. Relaxing with each and every out breath. Just like the Bodhi tree spreads its roots out over the earth. Sitting tall and dignified. Knowing that you're sitting, knowing that you're breathing. Mindful of body, mindful of the body of breath.
And just watching how the breath just naturally flows in and out. Noticing whether the breath is soft or strong. Shorter breaths, longer breaths. Letting the breath flow. Letting the breath flow as you soften the shoulders. Let the arms hang comfortably. Hands gently resting. Fine. Just sitting nice and relaxed. You might even imagine the breath, feel the breath moving up and down the spine. Feeling its gentle rise and fall. All the way from the tailbone right up to the crown of the head and back down again. Smiling with the beautiful breath. And noticing the way it makes you feel.
feelings of peace and calm. Mind becoming still. Thoughts like the winds just gently passing around the body, the body like, like a big tree where the wind just passes through the leaves. No hanging on. Freely flowing. Feeling spacious and alive.
And when your mind wanders, let's gently guide it back to the breath. Guide your attention back to the breath. Settling into spacious awareness. And soon you begin to realize, to know this nothingness is everything. As we draw to the end of the meditation, it's feeling into this sense of stillness and calm. Taking a moment to reflect back on your practice. You might ask yourself, what are the causes and conditions that give rise to these feelings of peace? And if not now, when do you feel peace?
and as an act of metta to yourself, I invite you to bring your hands to your heart. Just feel into this peaceful space. within and around you and say thank you. Say thank you to yourself. May I be well and happy. May I be peaceful and kind, gentle. May I move through my days with ease. And if it feels right to do so, you can bring someone to mind who's in need of a bit of kindness right now and wish for them too, to feel happy and peaceful, to know kindness and gentleness, to move through their days, their lifetime with ease. And sending those merits out to all the people in the room. May we all be well and happy and peaceful this evening. Indeed, throughout our lives. and sending the merits out even further. All the people back at home, people in your community, the country, overseas, as far as you can imagine, right up to the Davis. And just holding that with you. Well, not holding it with you, sending out the merits while I ring the bell. And if you haven't done so already, you can open your eyes, turn to the people next to you and say thank you to them too. Thank you everyone for meditating together. Thank you Sandra for the beautiful meditation. Before I invite the panelists to take their seats, I'd also like to supplement my introduction earlier. I meant to mention that Dr. Sanath was also the Vice President of the Society. And I would also like to introduce one more panelist, Mr. Bean Anson, who was also the former President of our Society. And without further ado, may I invite the panelists to the chairs in front. Feel free to sit wherever you like. There are microphones for everyone, so... <laughs> Yeah. 
come take a seat. So welcome everybody. We're all looking terribly formal, so <laughs> shake it out. <laughs> and rather than me warble on and introduce each one of you, I would thought that I'd get each of you to just quickly introduce yourself and we'll make it fun. Your and brevity is the soul of wit. So your happiest memory of Arjun Brahm. <laughs> the, you know, we, we, we're getting into the juicy stuff straight off. So if you could just introduce yourself and one happy thing. <laughs> and I'll just close my eyes and go like that. Yep. <laughs> Come on, Drew, you're never short of a word. <laughs> um, my name's Drew, I'm a ex, uh, former president. Uh, I was on the committee for three years. Uh, my happiest memory of Ajahn Brahm. Um, I don't know, I haven't spoken to him for a few years. Or any of the monks over time, because we're dealing with 50 years here, so. Uh, probably the, um, the pilgrimage to India in 2014 with Ajahn Brahmali, that was... Um, yeah, that was that was pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Uh, I'm Dennis Shepherd, and uh, I've been around the society for a few years, and um, yeah, well, lots of happy memories, uh, really, with Ajahn Brahm. Um, probably, well, uh, you know, it's a sort of a. a, a a bit of sweet memory really was really just seeing him at the time of the nuns monastery um, coming to fruition I think that for me um, kind of really solidifies what uh, just the strength and, the, and the, the character and the beauty and the fun that is there inside Ajahn Brahm all of the time and Sanat we first joined the Buddhist Society in 1982 when you arrived in Perth and we were delighted to find a Vihara Vita monk. And my the sweetest memory I have of Ajahn Brahm is when uh, we had a big uh, problem uh, with Ajahn Chagaro who decided to leave the monastery and Ajahn Brahm took over and uh, did a wonderful job then on. So th that moment was a big thing for me because there was someone to carry on the good work that has been done already. Yeah. Thank you. It's very heavy. 
painting there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Kanti, I'm Sanat's wife. We arrived in Perth in 1982 in March, and the first monk, Ajahn Jaguru, arrived, uh, was there just one month before us. So that's just going to the past. And my happiest memory of Ajahn Brahm is uh, when he arrived, he arrived in 1983 on Vesakte. So that's just really lovely to see Ajahn Brahm, another one coming, because we had two monks then, and Ajahn Brahm arrived on that day. My name is Bing Anson. I think I'm a very uh, life member here. I, uh, I joined the society in '78, uh, very, very long time ago. I think we're looking around here. I think it's only I'm the oldest member member here. And later on, with Davis and Dr. Sanat joined the society. And I served as a president for two years in '98 uh, and '99. Well, Ajahn Brahm, uh, I used to tell him that because we are born in the same year, but I was born one month earlier. <laughs> so I told him that uh, I'm uh, one month older than you, but you are 100 years wiser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had so many things, souvenirs, I don't know, I don't remember. You know, there are so many uh, good times together. And, uh, I just remember that uh, when uh, we, uh, the society decided to buy a piece of land in Serpentine, and Ajahn Brahm lived in a small shed there, now it no longer exists. And it was in the, the first, uh, the first uh, ranch retreat that the monk Ajahn Brahm, Ajahn Chakuro, there with uh, one helper. And my wife was pregnant the first time, so we decided to make the, the decision to make merits, but uh, bring the food there every week. And uh, he, he's so happy to see us because we bring, uh, we bought some fresh produce and uh, we uh, cook and we talk and uh, he gave me some advice and uh, I really admire them because at, last, at that time I think Ajahn Chakra was staying in the caravan and but Ajahn Pram just like a small shed, I think like a, uh, uh, a red water tank cut in half and make like a, a roof for him to, to, to stay there. <laughs> really, I still remember until this day, really impressed of uh, Ajahn Brahm. Thank you, Bin. And uh, yes, I, I didn't realize that. I thought Dennis is the longest serving member that I knew of. Uh, yeah, that's uh, you learn every day. <laughs> and I think Dennis also may have joined in 78, Dennis? There about then, yes. So you are the most senior members around at the moment. Yes, that's a great pleasure to privilege to sit together. And uh, uh, Ajahn Brahm, uh, the, the best memory that I could think of is, uh, like Drew said, we also went to on pilgrimage to India with Ajahn Brahm. That was in 2005, soon after the tsunami. And I think the, the, it was a, <laughs> a fantastic tour. I recall the joy of chanting uh, Ratanasut at uh, Vesali. 
the very place that the Lord Buddha chanted that uh, sutta, uh, uh, we together with Ajahn Brahm and there were three other monks, we sat, I think, probably at the same place that the Buddha, uh, Buddha sent uh, Venerable Ananda around in Vesali. And uh, around that stupa, we chanted Ratna Sutta, 60 of us, four monks, uh, probably two nuns, and we all. I think that was one of the best memories, but I think the best memories are the meditating with Tajan Brahm. Here, Jana Grove, before this, uh, the former hall. So those are the fond memories, I think. The good thing is they are continuing. <laughs> 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 they were not, they are. So, uh, uh, well, just to say, I, I, I've been a member, I thought, I'm an old fellow, but compared to these two fellows, I'm a <laughs> baby. <laughs> I joined uh, in 91 as a member, so 95 I was, I think, elected as the treasurer, but I took uh, back, well, and then 2010 again the treasurer. Last year, always I came when there was no one, and uh, last minute, last year also, I was the secretary, so three times, and then also one of my, um, another thing that I like to share with you is that Bodhinyana was under great threat recently also, but it, this was uh, in 96, 7, I think there was a very big push to open a sand mine, huge sand mine right behind, you may recall me, I think that um, there was uh, uh, Ajahn Ram was away and five-member strategy group. I was one of them and uh, against all odds, we won that. I think uh, like that we served uh, society in uh, quite outs from quite outside from the committee as well. So thanks for the invitation to join the panel and it's a privilege. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name's Witwara, or most people probably know me more as V, especially of late, after being the assistant treasurer. Perth born and raised, so um, my upbringing was pretty much school, home, and then temple grounds, and helping out BSWN events and the wider Thai community as well. Additionally to all the stories given told, probably one, one of the many vivid memories I have is um, when I was younger, and going up to Serpentine whilst waiting for the monks to come up, Ajahn Brown would give us a short Dhamma talk. And every time he, the topic of his Dhamma talk would hit the nail on the head of the topic of the monks in the car whilst we were driving up to the temple. So, um, and then on the way back, my parents would always say, see, you've been in presence of a wise monk. The topic always, always, always hits the nail on the head of the topic in that car conversation. So thank you as well for the invitation for tonight and hopefully it's a good one. Okay. So Kanti and Sanad, I know that you joined the society back in 82 at, at Magnolia Street. Well, 82. 82. Yeah. So, and you were one of the first people I met yeah. on an insight meditation group retreat. And you had such a kind, you, you still do have such a kind face, but it really inspired me on the path. That's, I just wanted to publicly yeah. say that because <laughs> it you. meant the world to me. Um, but tell me, what was it like in the early 80s trying to 
establish a Buddhist society and a constitution and set all yeah, of that yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, what was, I mean, today I easy, think easy. Buddhism's the third biggest religion in the country and the fastest growing, which is quite astounding. But yeah, what was it like in the 80s? There are a lot of ethnic communities that are coming in from Buddhist countries, so that, that helped to push the numbers up. So we, we, we had the uh, Cambodians, Vietnamese, we were all working as a, as a team here and the, the multicultural thing was just taking off and it was so nice to, uh, to, to work together and be together with all these ethnic communities mm. and until they became uh, a bit large and then they broke off and started their own monasteries uh, like the Sri Lankan people, the Cambodians and so on. So, uh, th th that was great. Um, sorry, what was the question you asked? Uh, sorry. We uh, too, well, you started it all. Ah. Uh, yeah, when we came here, Ajahn Jagaru was here with uh, another monk called Ajahn Puriso. These two monks were brought, uh, invited here, and Ajahn Cha recommended these two monks. And it was early days. Uh, we this is a small house in Magnolia Street, mm -hmm. just two, 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 two rooms. I think that's all there was. And uh, the community was small, of course. And uh, th th then, as the, the society became larger, then we decided to move on. And uh, Ajahn Jagaro was a very good leader that way, and got. Uh, uh, he wanted uh, to establish a monastery. He was a forest monk, and he wanted to maintain that. And uh, his primary concern was not to take any loans. Mm. He just purely uh, go on donations, <coughs> which he did. But uh, unfortunately, there were no buildings on that property, and they had to live uh, inside tents and all kinds of other improvised structures. So they went through a hard time, but they got through that. And uh, then it began to develop from then on. And we had a lot of support from Ajahn Sumedho at the time. He used to come here fairly frequently and we used to have retreats. And so he was a big factor in uh, going forward. Uh, it's it's a quite a different ball game today mm. to, to what we did at the time because we had may, maybe fifty members or even maybe less, and uh, I think all the fundraising. Yeah, I did. Um, so we did a lot of fundraising at the time to get this thing going. So mm -hmm. Kanti was very involved in that. <laughs> she might think so. Yeah, because you were so with the fundraisings. We used to actually cook and buy the food as well because the group was so small. And I remember my daughter came running to me and said, please give $2 to make it $100. <laughs> so that's how we did the uh, fundraisings. It really worked very, very hard. From those small fundraisings, it went up to, uh, we had one in the Civic Center in, uh, in, in South Perth. So it, it, it grew from there. So it was... Uh, not that uh, easy at the beginning, but it was real fun, as Ajahn Brahm recently told us. 
it was one big family at that time and we all of us knew each other and it was i mean weekends where we we were all with the monks and uh, we were, before this it was it was at uh, uh, bodhinyana so it was a wonderful place to start everything mm. and i believe you um funded the first kuti we built yeah <laughs> <laughs> the airframe which still stands there uh, we built that uh, kuti mm-hmm. that's lovely and and Dennis I believe you had a hand in designing some of the buildings here yes yes yeah. well <laughs> how, how did you come to stumble across across the Buddhist society I feel like you've just been here forever Yeah, no, sort of it feels like that to me as well. But uh but happily, you know, I started coming here before I was a member in around 1975 actually. I was uh just involved with a group that was just in the t- at the time uh, buying Magnolia Street. Um previous to that the uh members of the society used to sort of meet at people's houses. They had the library in the boot of a car. and uh I was just just at this point I wanted to just mention Warren Smiles who was a uh uh just a, a strong member at the time his wife actually uh Karen Smiles was the president or was a president um at some particular time around around then and they put their house up as as a collateral so that we could buy that property in uh, Magnolia Street I always thought that was a wonderful uh very very brave thing to do because we you know we were just a, we had no money at all basically but there it was that allowed us to buy that property in Eden Magnolia Street and that also was the catalyst that started us to uh organize to bring monks over so that's really when uh, that little group of five people that went to Thailand um uh you know we were able to sort of consolidate ourselves enough to be able to go to Thailand and you know eventually find Ajahn Chah up in uh up in Chiang Mai and um Ajahn Chah and he uh, the, the 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 group that went uh requested that we have monks sent from there and that that happened and was only really a couple of weeks after they after they came back that uh we had uh, Ajahn Jagger arrive and Ajahn Peruso our first two monks who moved into Magnolia Street so that's basically you know where it started then Lynn Jackson we she's here so I don't know if she's here in the room tonight but she was certainly one of those five and uh was a great well I always see Lynn as like the matriarch of this society <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so. Yeah. So the next questions for for Ben. So given you are the most senior <coughs> person here. What what have what have been because the, the theme of this year's um Rains Retreat speaker series has been turning points. And this might be a big question, but what what do you feel have been the biggest turning points? Uh-huh. for the BSWA. Right. Mm, actually, <laughs> no, I realize that the Danish uh, I mean it's involved in the Buddhist society since 75 so I mean much longer than I was. 
because oh, wow. I, I came to know the Sioux Society in only late 78, 77, 78, because I, uh, I first came to, to Perth to do uh, a PhD at Murdoch in uh, uh, 77. And at uh, the end of that year, then we, we came to know the Society through uh, Wichai as a Thai man, one of the five people who went to, to Thailand to, uh, to mm -hmm. ask Ajahn Chah to, to, to send some monks over here. And we still keep uh, contact with which I actually with, I spoke to him I think a few months ago, no, just a few weeks ago, because it happened that he lived in Cairns and my daughter, my first daughter, my eldest uh, daughter, she, now she's a doctor there too. Uh -huh. So yeah, we, uh, we, we just talked. I met him uh, two years ago, but uh, recently I just spoke to him on the phone. Yeah. So uh, I don't... I, it's very hard to say, but uh, the society has changed a lot. Yes, often I say that uh, when I first tried '78, it's only about 20 people or something, less. and we they were we are really struggling to pay the mortgage. I remember I had to uh, to have my uh, coins uh, box, and I put all the coins there, and every week or every spot, I just collect all the coins and. And said we go to the bank and, and cash and then put into the society account. And we tried to save every cent from that. And, uh, and we, I, I rented a house just not, not very far from uh, the Magnolia City in, in Norfolk. So I used to help to come every second day to help uh, watering the garden and have a, a talk to a few mem members there too. So it's uh, quite, a, quite a good souvenir. <laughs> 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 uh, and I also. I don't know whether anybody uh, will realize that uh, the design of this room, this uh, hall, is mainly his Danish work. Mm -hmm. He's involved in, in architect and uh, uh, building, so it's a very nice design. So it used to be the car park before, because this, one, this area is, uh, was an <coughs> Anglican church, and uh, I think the uh, the pastor lives there, and the next one, the whole community hall used to be a church. And this area is a parking area. So they need to design and build up this one, a very nice uh, uh, hall that we have. And what, what does it, um, so it's probably a good question for Vivara. Vivara? You know, what does it mean for the Thai community of, to have a place like this to come to? Like, in this Hopefully I'm giving a very random and, oh, not that, but uh, well, you reflective. Can personalize it. Yeah. Cause, you know, what, what makes it so rewarding to volunteer at least? Yeah. Like, why would anyone sign up? to be the assistant treasurer, let alone the treasurer. <laughs> For me personally, when I was approached, and my main focus was just to help ease the duties for monastics, for me especially. So that's what um, was my main as. Mm -hmm. You hear the stories with all due to respect, okay, how much work it is being on the committee and as such. But when you're approached and then um, with my main call is that to try and assist and make it more easier for the jobs for the monastics and then those as well that you see core helping out along. Um, you just want to be that little bit that would help make things a little bit easier and smoother. Yeah, yeah. so do you, have you 
are there any particular turning points that you've experienced like in you know has your volunteering like helped your practice do you feel it's deepened your practice or keep continuing your practice and you don't lose for me um I do find that you still need to refresh. So, sure, you've heard the stories many times. Sure, you've been told, be in the present moment, watch your breath and all that. But sometimes you do um, need that refreshment mm. as to coming to back. And then in volunteering and then seeing, hearing the stories or being amongst the environment as well, you still get that refreshment. And then you can sort of go to the next step as well in getting that deeper practice, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm just going to... Swing to Drew, because I know we've talked about this before. Um, you know how <laughs> I was just chuckling to myself today. Um, there are so many things I've learnt volunteering at DSWA about, let's just say, the nature of humanity, which have been quite useful in the workplace. So, what's. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I. Drawing on my time as president, I guess um, I was surprised at, um, in my time there, how much conflict there was on the committee and um, brawls and fighting and <laughs> personalities having a go at each other. And um, people would say to me, I can't believe Buddhist people on a committee would behave like that um, and splinter into factions and groups. But actually, you know, when people are under pressure, that's, that's human nature. And, um, yeah, it's part and part and parcel of it and, and the real Buddhism is um, I guess overcoming that and, and, and getting people to um, cooperate and sort of see sort of see the bigger picture. Um, I understand now that the, the committee is a lot more peaceful um, than it has been but we were going through quite a few changes and that the society had to and um, yeah um, different views meant um, things got heated and um, so how do you deal with that because you did a lot of work to streamline processes and try and put good governance in place um, well unfortunately for some people you just have to um, disagree and um, the point of a committee is that the it's a democratic process and the, and the majority votes and some people um, you know they wouldn't be happy with with the outcomes um, but that's, that's how a democratic society and a committee works and we got the important things that had to be done done. and in the long run that was for the best and um, you know, the idea is probably not to be caught up in that time um, and also it's good learning for people in that environment never really to hold any um, personal grudges I suppose and really there's no one from that time, I forget actually now who was even on the committee because I haven't held any grudges. Um, <laughs> but at, yeah, but at that time, you know, we got through it. We had to and um, let it go. So, what did you find um, was the most rewarding? Uh, is there anything? Were there any real turning points where there was? I don't know, like a, a real lesson. Or oh, something I mean, you're particularly proud of that you were. Um, I don't. I don't really have any pride in it because I was just part of a process at the time that I was trying to lead, mm. and then hopefully I've disappeared into the background. Um, but yeah, with all the strife that we had, um, 
getting the subcommittees up and running, getting um, some more paid professionals in to take the load off the volunteers, um, the committee who are starting to crack because of, you know, everyone's got their family life and their work life and the society had grown to such a point with the complexity of um, government compliance and insurances and all the rest of it, it was, it was just too much for mm. you know, to expect volunteer committee members to, to do that and to have one committee, I guess, trying to oversee multiple premises, um, you know, like Jarner Grove and this place and, and the other campuses. Um, so to put in um, subcommittees for each of those different campuses, allocate their money and budgets, get in some paid professionals part-time or full-time to help manage um, that anyway, my time was the, was the best outcome and that was a turning point in society where, you know, we've heard that it went from uh, a society out of the, uh, a car boot with the books and then they bought Magnolia Street and then we built this place and then finally what caught up to the society in about 2014 to 18 when I was on the committee was, was just um, dealing with this massive growth of facilities and, and membership and a lot of the older people wanted it to be like the old days and had fear about it being corporatised and taken over, but it didn't work out that way. And if we didn't have those structures in, um, yeah, we, we, the government was on our case, the tax department was on our case, and things, things had to be um, reshuffled and put in and, and made better. And they have been. It's been good since then, so we can all relax. Yeah, it was pretty phenomenal, really, uh, to grow from quite a, a small volunteer effort to quite a sizable organisation. And I think you can call it an organisation. I mean, Ajahn Brown jokes about disorganised religion. We, we could never be accused of being organised religion, but we kind of had to. <laughs> I think the key, the key now, though, to keep members coming and growing and happy is that it's become much bigger and there's all these different campuses and there's a bit more structure and organisation. But I think what the committee needs to look at now is how do we have a, um, how do we keep a, a small, more inclusive, friendly environment where you, where you do know a lot of people um, and, and you do feel comfortable coming down here and you're not just, I guess, lost in the crowd and you can make um, other, other lay friends. And I think that that's really the next... Um, and it has been for the last three or four years, challenge for the committee is, is to look at something like that. Mm. And um, certainly the society has the money to do things like make a cafe or a coffee shop or, or, or some sort of activity centre that brings the lay people together besides just the Friday night silence, meditation, go home, I didn't really meet anyone. Um, I, I, this was something we tried to get up and going in my time, but it was just it was too much. There was too much other stuff going on. Um, but, yeah, you know... What's another turning point for the society on the horizon now? I, I would say somehow bringing that community feel to a much bigger organisation. And I guess yeah. there's a few ways you could do it. Well, Kanti, you were quite instrumental in the early days in, in helping the Cambodian community feel welcome. You were... Yeah. Um, uh, the, you have uh, any hot the, tips for us? Because yeah, I'm trying I to the, figure it out. Yeah, I was the first <laughs> social worker at the Buddhist Society. That was a turning point because we got we got a grant from the, the immigration department to uh, settle uh, the Cambodian community. And uh, Kim Chu and his wife, they're, they're here as well. They were there. I can remember them. It was so much joy bringing them 
uh, here and settling them. Uh, and also, uh, I ran a, a counseling service where anyone from the Buddhist society could come and uh, discuss their issues and uh, because I qualified at Curtin University. And uh, so that was uh, quite a turning point as well because anyone could come and make an appointment and uh, get their, you know, get the, uh, discuss about their issues, which I don't know whether it's happening now. I'm, I'm not too sure about what's happening currently. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, along with Ron Mutton, we used to run a, a group for uh, new uh, Buddhists, a small, can you remember Ron? <laughs> Uh, that took, because it was smaller, so we used to have particular days in doing that. And um, so the social work one was very good, but we got the grant only for three years. And we managed, we managed to get the Cambodian community, and which has grown into a big community now, uh, which is so nice to see. Uh, so that's one of the. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Nandra Bin, do you have? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, anyone can talk. I'm, yeah, I feel I just like a uh, want to mention here. the fact that uh, <laughs> I've been in Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney. I talked to different Buddhist groups, and also been in California. Uh, also, where to see some of Buddhist groups there. And I used to tell my wife that we are very fortunate, very lucky that we have a very good Buddhist society here in Perth. That not many people realize that, even though we got some problems of sometimes some infighting between groups. But that's a very, yes, it's just natural. That's like attachment to views, which uh, people sometimes got some conflict. But they all come here with a sincere heart to practice, and all the conflict can be solved in a, in a, in a harmonious way. And if you look around, you can see that uh, we got a multicultural group here. Mm. It's not if you go to, to some, some other Buddhist society in Eastern States, you can say, oh, there's a Vietnamese group, a Sri Lankan group, a Burmese group, a Cambodian group. But here we call Australian group. We got uh, the people from different ethnic backgrounds that come and mix. Uh, even though, uh, as I remember, there's one observation by one Thai monk a long time ago, he said that uh, after he stayed here for about three, four months, he told me that one day, he told me that uh, like the Thai people used to come here for dana, I mean for sharing, giving, uh, for ceremony, because that's, they, they get used to it in Thailand. And the Australian people come here just interested in meditation and they go home. But after, if they really you know, had a good karma and they really had some interest in Buddhism, they stick for a few more years and gradually you can see uh, the Thai people now, they, they, they also like to uh, sit meditation. They come here to have the eight precepts and they stay whole night in the, next, uh, in the, uh, the uh, community hall next door and they meditate all day, all night and they mm -hmm. also read books and talk even though sometimes language may be still a barrier, but they're more interested, more and more in Dhamma. And the Australian group, after a few years, they also realized that, oh, they got to participate, got to share more, 
for Dana and got to, to open their heart and contribute more, giving more service to the society, not, not only to come for meditation. Mm. So gradually the people just mix mm. and meet. That's a very good observation. I think that's right. Because you come from different background, that's why. Uh, but uh, as I say from the beginning, that uh, this society, I should seek it for so many years now because it, uh, uh, it's unique. In a way, it's unique. You can't, if you, you happen to go to see somewhere else, you, you wouldn't see like this. And you can see that uh, we got the Buddhiyana about 70, 72 or 75 kilometers from Perth. And Damasara is about 60 kilometers from Perth. But you can see people every day, someone turn up, bring the food and cook and serve and offer to the monks, to the nuns throughout the year. You don't get that sort of constant support in any other place. So uh, I think we, uh, we, we are really fortunate to have a good uh, Buddhist group and a good Buddhist society. You, you hit on a really <coughs> interesting point there about breaking down cultural barriers. And I've been pondering that a lot and just trying to work out how do we, how do, we do that? Because I, I still feel that when I um, host a Kalyana friendship community session, I don't really see a lot of different mm. cultures coming together mm. or different ethnicities coming together. Mm. So how do we... I think because, I, I say that because yeah. of uh, mm. attachment to view. You are, uh, the Buddha also warned us about that. There are many types of attachment. That one thing. Attachment is very hard to overcome it. attachment to view. We think that that's a way. I was born in Vietnam like myself and went used to the Mahayana tradition and I think that's the way of the Buddhist who got to practice. And if someone do differently, I think, ah, it's not right. Mm. So we've got to be more open-minded. And one thing is good here is uh, also with Ajahn Brahm, his understanding and tolerance. And we've got to go back to the root of Buddhism. What's, what's in it? what sort of benefits are what the Buddha teaches. Uh, all the other one, the ritual or organization, is just outside. But we've got to go right inside, essence of it. And I think one of the, the, the book, or the, I also heard the Dharma talk by the Bhikkhu Bodhi. He said, based on the commentary, Buddhism offers three types of happiness. Usually the people go, come here just think about nirvana, nibbana, or liberation or something, but it's not. We've got to be practical. Yeah. The first type of happiness is happiness here and now. How do we uh, be happy now at the moment or in our lifetime, in our family? How do we treat the people? That's the, the metta, meditation, and the, and the sila, the morality. We've got to keep those things to get a good, harmonious way. And then, it's not only this life, and not many people can get enlightened right away. We've got to be reborn again and again for many lives in the future. So how do we invest to make a, 
uh, to create a, a happy environment in the future for the future lives. That's what we got to think about it too. And finally, it's ultimate happiness is hidden, is uh, liberation. So we got three type of uh, three level of happiness we got to aim at, and we got to be uh, realistic. Like myself now, I'm retired. Uh, I still have a family, a wife, uh, children, and grandchildren. How we we make them happy, live happy with them, and how I uh, I can I, I treat the people around me in my uh, neighborhood, and even when they come to society here, you know, how do I solve all the problems so can, can, can bring ha happiness and harmony to the people? That's important. <coughs> That's something practical, but uh, we got to remember, always remember that. But if we remember that, we can solve all the conflicts, I think. Thank you, Sandra, and thank you, Bin. Actually, the question that you raised, what is the turning point for the Buddhist society, I think, uh, undoubtedly, uh, when I was looking at the history and uh, the background, uh, the monk that Venerable Puriso, who came with Ajahn Bra, uh, Jagaro, he had to leave. And uh, who was the replacement? I think that was the turning point. <laughs> Undoubtedly, for the Buddhist society, the turning point was, for some reason, the second monk who came with Ajahn Jagaro did not like Perth. Oh. For whatever <laughs> the reason. What do you think now the reason was? reason was that uh, our fortune, our fortune. Who came, uh, who did Ajahn Chah send as the replacement? Ajahn Brahm. So I, I think categorically we could say, if not for Ajahn Brahm, I don't think the Buddhist society would be there, but uh, not this mega structure with all this compassion and the teaching and all that. So I think, I think that is the turning point for the Buddhist society. Uh, the overall, uh, every organization, things happen, things change, and they are turning points, but the turning point, the pivotal turning point, is Ajahn Brahm coming here, I would say. And also, the, I think Bin mentioned that uh, there are various uh, temples, groups, but not Thai, not Sri Lankan, not Burmese. This is the Buddhist. The Buddhism has no cultural uh, barriers. There are no, uh, the, 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 it's the uh, no limit religion, so it's open to everyone. And uh, I think that for everyone's benefit as well, the turning point in my life was, of course, meeting Ajahn Brahm, and then undoubtedly, and uh, I'm sure for most of us, and uh, of course, I'm a traditional Buddhist from a Buddhist country, Sri Lanka, but uh, started practicing after, <laughs> properly practicing after coming here, <laughs> I must say. And uh, my turning point is Bhante Sujato, actually the second one. And Bhante Sujato, I was, uh, soon after the Jana Grove was open, uh, where would, would we have a Jana Grove if not for Ajahn Brahm? Mm. I know, I think uh, all members will remember, I think he has had to uh, argue at the committee as well, I think for that, place to be uh, come to fruition. So um, they are all turning points. And Bhante Sujato conducted his very first weekend meta retreat at Jana Group. And 
I asked, I sat right at the back wall of Jnana I asked Bhante, is it necessary to read Sutta? So, <laughs> and uh, I still remember the answer that he gave. He said, Ananda, yes, read Sutta, because I knew him. Uh, he was the young secretary here when we had that problem at, with the proposed uh, sand mine. Yeah. And so I knew him reasonably well. And uh, he said, you will get closer to the Buddha, you will get closer to the Dhamma, you will get closer to the Sangha. Your path to liberation will be much swifter. And uh, hasn't been, I haven't heard the truth better than that. Mm. And uh, obviously I have heard the truth, four noble truths, but <laughs> in the mundane world, <laughs> that is the truth, I think. Uh, uh, turning point is that uh, the, the Ajahn Brahms brought here at the Buddhist society and then he started the sutta classes and continuing still he brought uh, Bhante Sujato came that is the other turning point so I think we are very fortunate here yeah. thank you okay so in the spirit of inclusion at 8.45 I'd like to um, just ask the audience if you have any any questions that maybe we could theme it up? So um, I wanted to start to round out the discussion um, to talk about, you know, what is our hope for the future of BSWA? I mean, it has grown exponentially. I'd just be really curious about any questions or comments. Is anyone brave enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, good on you, Bill. <laughs> Grab a microphone, sort of. Um. Oh, well, here we've got lots. <laughs> I think a major turning point was the Ajahn Vyama coming here, as well as the. Uh, the start-up of uh, Damasara Monastery. Yes, that is a major oversight we have not mentioned. Yes. But yes. the big you. turning point of the Bikini ordinations <laughs> and Damasara and, yeah, yes. Ayavayama. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I just forgot to mention one small thing, but uh, besides, we've got a very good Buddhist society here. Not many people realize that we, want, we have the best, the best meditation center, China you, you cannot find anywhere in the world. We've got a, a meditation with a very, very well organized and all facilities like that. It's a China Grove meditation center. Yeah, I know. It's pretty unusual. Um, it's something I didn't fully realize until um, Ayatatalika. Um, who was the preceptor for the um, nun's ordination, the bhikkhuni ordination at Dhammasara. And she said that they watch BSWA very closely to see how things unfold and develop here. Because this is really unusual to have a four-fold assembly, to have the bhikkhunis, the bhikkhus, the monks and nuns, and the household of men and women all coming together. You don't really see that 
in many parts of the world, I'm led to believe. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, and you... Because yes. you have a very close association with Dharmasara, don't you? Yes, it is, yes. Ajahnvayama, <laughs> uh, uh, actually, Ajahnvayama. Thank you, Bill, for bringing that up, and I also forgot that. And uh, she had uh, one of the toughest times the, when we started the Dharmasara, when the Buddhist society started. I think uh, I visited within a week of buying that, took some monks from Bodhinyana. Uh, there, was, there were no roads or anything at that time. And Ajahnvayama, I think most of us know it, there may be few newcomers who don't know, uh, that uh, she lived up on the hills uh, on a rickety old caravan. No water, no electricity, no mobile phone, nothing, absolutely nothing. And when we took the dana, we carried water as well. There was overhead uh, water, little water, <coughs> so filled that as well. And uh, I think the uh, food was laid on uh, on the rock. There was uh, if you go there now, you get on a cutting a day, you can go and visit that place right at the top. And uh, uh, food was laid on a plastic sheet. I still recall blue plastic, blue plastic sheet. And the peop the one who got the dana very first was not Ajahn Vayama. All the bull lands. <laughs> that was the that was the beginning of Dhammasara. So uh, we owe our gratitude to Ajahn Vayama as well, and uh, that 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 that's it. And I also now mentioning Ajahn uh, Dhammasara. I think a lot of people don't know. I like to pay respect to another benefactor of Dhammasara, and uh, most people don't know. He used to sit there on that just next to that uh, door, Brian Creek. Uh, if uh, old people, old members know Brian, and he'll always say LG, he passed, he died in 2014, uh, yes, and uh, uh, if you want to get a little bit more details, you will find uh, in an old edition, 2019, third edition of Enlightened Times, a little bit uh, on that, mm -hmm. under the title Memories. And he gave his entire estate to, uh, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's all right, it's yeah. perfectly in order. We checked it out. It's <laughs> checked out. It's perfectly in order. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's can be, in that article, it's openly, mm -hmm. article was checked by, uh, uh, draft was checked by Ajahn Brahm, draft was checked by Ajahn Hasapanya. So there is no restriction in mentioning Brian's name. I'm quite familiar because I saw the will. Mm. <laughs> I did all the work on his will uh, for Buddhist society. 14 months it took. Gosh. So therefore, I'm fully familiar with that. And uh, there was no restriction. And it's in, it's in the public domain, enlightened yeah. times. So therefore, there is no problem in that. And uh, he gave all that, uh, almost a million dollars. Mm. Almost a million dollars. So, Dhammasara, uh, we owe a debt of gratitude to Brian, Brian Creek. And uh, very, uh, one of the oldest members as well, um, I said, in the 90s. So, when we mentioned Ajahn Vayama, thanks Bill for bringing it up. And Dhammasara, I thought I better mention that as well. Another thing, uh, <laughs> I like the practicality of the monks. In, uh, when they started Bodhinyana, they uh, built the ablution block first, the ablution block mm -hmm. for the monks. 
and that's where the two bad bricks are. <laughs> oh, right, okay. And, <laughs> I've been looking at the wall. <laughs> and I remember, I think, uh, Adrian Perusa was actually a tiler by trade at one stage, and he did the tiles in the evolution block. And then for a week or so, there was three bunks there. So, Casanio, could I put you on the spot, ask you, what, what are your hopes for the future? You're, you're the current president. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's a good question. Um, so, and I guess as Drew mentioned already, we're uh, currently a very peaceful committee. Uh, we're sort of moving slow, but we have a very steady and slow move. Um, we have some short-term um, goals that we set for ourselves for this year. Um, but I guess if I think of the future and um, long-term goals, so we we'll see our Buddhist society growing, um, not just uh, in Australia, but internationally. Um, so we're looking at um, other countries and how we can grow Buddhism um, worldwide. So yeah, I guess um, we'll be expanding the Buddhism um, across the world. <laughs> but it's a long-term goal. It's, um, yeah, but it's in our plans. Is that a good answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should actually come and um, sit here so that when this recording goes live, all the folks can see you. <laughs> 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 yeah, because it's yeah. wonderful to have you as the president. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed today's, um, um, today's panel's discussion. Um, it's a good to know what's been happening in the past and how we all became this big society. Um, and I guess actually I was thinking about a question for Sandra. <laughs> oh gosh, I thought I, you know, ducked out. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so there was a question about the, what was the turning point for um, all panelists and I wanted to ask you what was your turning point or something very important or significant that happened in your own um, personal development or experience while being in a Buddhist society. While being in the Buddhist society, um, you know, I've got a lot to, to thank Dennis for and my friend Linda McGuire. So the, the turning point, I mean, was when I saw the, um, the, the care training advertised and I thought, oh wow, this is very proactive stuff. And I came along and I did the training and yeah, I guess that was a bit of a turning point. And then the other, um, so it's kind of like, you know, be the change you want to see. And look, Bin, you kind of touched on this because in the early days, I, I didn't really feel that comfortable coming along to BSWA. <laughs> but then once we started doing things like the um, care group and the we had a crack at Wednesday nights and I realised that, oh, wow, this is really a very friendly place. Yes, yes. And the monks um, and nuns are really very accessible. And it sort of opened the book a bit. And it, it's, 
I mean, it, it's a gradual training, right? So yeah. things just unfold and unfold. So there's many, many little turning points. But it was that just sitting in the Dharma Hall one day and thinking, wow, I just feel really safe and comfortable in this space. It's not what I grew up with. Um, the only reason I went to church when I was a kid was because the CWA ladies did good scones. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad used to write notes to say that I didn't have to do religious instruction because he was a you know, firmly in the atheist camp. Um, I said, no, Dad, you've got to understand these women, they do great scones. He's like, oh, well, as long as you don't listen and just eat the scones. So it's... And I think the um, I think the thing is that the way Arjun Brahm um, teaches, it is, you know, in a sense, it's quite secular, and it's quite it speaks to. I'm going to use the word ordinary, ordinary people, living their lives, haven't really grown up in a you know, a Buddhist country or a Buddhist family and it's not actually asking you to bow down to anything. It's asking you to consider what I think are just basic good rules for living, being good humans. And, um, yet it's very freeing. So that's a long and garbled answer to what the turning point was. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, Sandra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ksenia, have you got any questions for the other panel members? Oh, I think we had a question at the back. Run, Bill, run. <laughs> no? I um, just wanted to um, ask where should we, um, as a Buddhist, where should we direct our knowledge, our focus? What, what should we be learning in life? Oh, finishing on the big, deep questions. <laughs> Come on, panel. <laughs> That's a good one. Anyone got a nice, nice, succinct answer? <laughs> Actually, I, I, um, Ajahn, Bra, Ajahn Brahmali was asked this question, same question at Janagro. The question was, can you sum up Buddhism in one word? This would have been about probably six, seven, eight years ago. At once he said, kindness. I think that's very true. And uh, if you look at the sutta, the one word is the apamada, that is apamada means diligence. But diligence encompasses kindness. So if we are kind to others and kind to ourselves, then I think we are good Buddhists. Yeah. I think that's, 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 uh, that's my answer coming from, through Ajahn Brahman. I'd probably, I'd probably add to that. Are you oh, come on, Drew. I'll add, I'll add to that. I'll be real brief. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> if, you wanted, if you wanted to direct your knowledge somewhere, you would direct it at the self. And, and on the Buddhist path, you would attempt to master yourself. 
and then, and then you've done that through the Dharma. That's it. All right. Now I'm going to vote that that is the ending question, and each of us have to offer up a pearl of wisdom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Come, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, what Drew said there is probably uh, just about right on the money. But I think here in this society here, we've got a great opportunity here to, um, to really understand just what life is about. Because, you know, I'm always, so whenever I get the chance to talk, I always sort of talk about the mystery of just what we're, what we're on about here. It is a very mysterious thing, this world. Very mysterious thing, just being on this planet and being in this space and sort of understanding just what it is. But in fact, I was just, because Drew and I just had a, a meal together tonight and uh, we were uh, just talking together about, um, about well, just this thing, where should you be looking? And, I, and it always just strikes me that when, when you look at the present moment and then you realise that this present moment is a constant, it is there all of the time, it is a constant in nature, you know, very similar, if you like, if, you know, in scientific terms, to the speed of light. This present moment never, uh, never changes. It is always there. Now, once you start to get your head around that, you start really then to start to see the things around the right way. The right view starts to come into, into, uh, into your own view because you can see that, uh, um, that what's out there and what's happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future has really uh, got nothing to do with reality. Reality is all about being here in this constant of the present moment. So that's where usually our meditation, we work out to make our meditation or take our meditation to that place and to be able to understand the depth of it and to really go deep inside it and find the stillness that's there. And then when you can find the stillness and you know beyond any doubt what that stillness is, then you've got the opportunity to hold that stillness in equilibrium with this world. And then you'll start to get the opportunity to see what the Buddha saw. So thank you. Going back to what this gentleman was asking, uh, I would say uh, Buddhism in one, in the short two words would be get real. And, uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you get real? I think the, the key to that is staying in the moment, as Dennis was saying. The, and that's through Vipassana practice, to, to see what's going on in the moment. And as Ajahn uh, Sumedha would say, uh, this is the way it is at this moment. See, it, it won't be any other way. So just... Uh, if you keep on observing the moment, then you begin to understand the way things really are, how, how they are structured, and uh, see through the illusion of uh, impermanence, uh, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self. Yeah. Uh, I fully agree with uh, Denis. I think Denis was, is said what I, what I'm thinking of saying, but uh, to and to put it in a nutshell past is gone and the future is yet to come. So being in the present moment is the most important thing. So try and do it 
in your everyday life, I think that's really not only just sitting in meditation, even in your daily life, just, just be aware of what's uh, going on at the moment. That's, I think that's one of the, for me in my meditation, that's one of the strongest points. Just all the time remind yourself to be in the moment and accept what's there. Not to hope for anything else, but just accept it and then the next one will come. Just, uh, just remind me of uh, you know, when you are walking through the, uh, the gate there, you can see the standing Buddha. And underneath, there's a Tambapada verse. I think that summarizes Buddhism. Not to do evil, always doing good and purify their heart. That's the teaching of all Buddhas. <laughs> yeah, I think what being said is I think that is uh, uh, it's one of the best verses in the Dhammapada. I think we can almost running out of time, but I like to chant it. Sabba papa sakarana kusala supa sampada satitta pariyodapanang etang buddhanu sasana. That is what the that is what Bins gave in uh, English. Uh, that uh, the, the that encompassed the Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Actually, what it says is be kind. Yeah. Be kind to you and to all sentient beings, and then purify your mind. It's right on the, the yeah, on the okay. And I guess to emphasize in regards to being in the present moment, yes, we do have very, very good meditation centers and centers here. But just because you don't get the chance, or some people aren't able to drive that length, you can be in the present moment anytime. Sometimes I find the most tranquil or um, the simplest or um, just being that present moment is when I get to come here even just after work. Like one of Ajahn Brown's stories, someone says, thank you for the car park at certain time. <laughs> so, um, yes, we do have very, very good centres, but if you can't get there or um, difficulty just in that present moment, doesn't have to be at the centre, doesn't have to be at Buddhist land anywhere. This is your practice. Thank you. Yeah. Just as a footnote, uh, she's the daughter of my one of my Thai friend that I come to know in Perth uh, 40 years ago. So she's like a, the second mem a second generation member of the Buddhist society. There you go. Yeah. I think the summary is just be kind. <laughs> just be kind to yourself, be kind to others. And I think uh, that brings us to a close this evening. So I can see Ariel's got the mic. Oh. I was just preparing to get some thank you gifts if um, you think we are ready for that. Yeah, well, actually, I have a gift too that I'd like to give to you, Ariel. <laughs> oh. Because... Ariel has done a wonderful job this year of pulling together all the speakers. It's been so professional, so smooth. Oh, and thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been a wonderful thing to be a part of. And I just love the way that you have really put the attention into detail. And yeah, it's been top notch. Oh, wow, thank yeah, you. Yeah, the, the speakers have been top notch. So 
I have a little gift here that between Cassandra and myself we put this together and you have to come over here and accept it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. And, and wave at the camera. <laughs> Sorry, panelists, I'm taking my gift first. <laughs> sadi, sadi, everyone, sadi, sadi, sadi. So my turn. Your turn. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you're on. You're on. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. I'd like to say a special thank you to Ananda, who has helped me to host many Friday nights and stepped in to speak when I rejuggled the speaker roster last minute. So he has always been able to help me at the drop of a hat. I could not have done the Friday nights without our roster of hosts. And I'd also like to thank, thank the AV team because you've done exceptionally well this year. And also thank Bill and Garsong and all the people who are just always here, and particularly Sue V. She is the lady who loads everything up to YouTube. And yeah, it's, it's, um, there are some manoeuvres involved doing that, and yeah, yes. thank you. And last but not least, V, my new friend, <laughs> who put off a manoeuvre to end up here before 8 o'clock. Thanks so much for taking time out from a very busy work day to come. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah. And to the people I've forgotten, thank you. And let's pay our respects to the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Um, yeah, we might as well turn around. <laughs> we will, um, And I'd like to offer these flowers to any of the panel members who'd like to take some home or anyone who'd like to take some flowers. Please do, please do. Oh.